When was the last time you really got stirred up about something? So much so that um, you thought, I've got, to, I've, got, I've, got, I've got to do something. I've, I've got to change something. I've got, to, I've got to step in. When was the last time you, you felt that? As I was looking at the children this morning, I, I, I remembered that actually this is a, sort of an everyday occurrence for parents, isn't it? God has so beautifully designed that sweet little baby with a voice that when it starts crying, you can actually sort of hold it off for maybe, I don't know, five minutes, and then it just eats into your soul. It just gets somewhere inside you. Oh, I've got to do something. I've got to, um, and obviously you do because you love the wee baron and you want him to do well. But also you want to get some peace. I was stirred up to action the other day as I saw water uh, pouring down from one of the light fittings as one of my dear children was showering upstairs. You can't just sit there and let that go. You've got to do something, haven't you? You're stirred to action. This is not good. It's not supposed to come out of light fittings. Last year it was extraordinary, wasn't it, to see the whole nation stirred up about the independence referendum. I've never seen anything like it. You know, dog walkers talking in the park about the uh, various policies of yes and no. It was an extraordinary thing. I, I, I had friends who've never done anything in politics suddenly start going around knocking on doors and handing in leaflets because they were so passionate either for yes or for no. They got stirred up. So when was the last time you got really stirred up about something, so you thought, I've got, to, I've got to do something. I believe this is a time where we as a church need to be stirred up. I, I believe that God is calling us to, to fresh engagement in his work. To be stirred up to give ourselves to the work of the Lord uh, to seek first his kingdom and his priorities. I really think we're at a crucial time in Scottish history. And I think it is a time that this church needs to be stirred up. And that's really why we've been looking at this book of Haggai. Because in it we see how God has stirred up the hearts of people in the past. We live in a time of great spiritual need. And Christian churches are in rapid decline. David Robertson blogged this week about the statistics released by the Church of Scotland in their blue book ahead of their May General Assembly. And you can read it online. And this is what David said in his blog. Not one presbytery in the Church of Scotland saw growth last year. Looking over the last 10 years, the decline is accelerating, not decreasing. The Church of Scotland is declining by a higher percentage each year. The church is losing the equivalent of around 40 churches per year. 16,000 members per year. 879 elders per year. 25 ministers per year net. For every person who becomes a member of the Church of Scotland by profession of faith in Christ, ten existing members die. The Church of Scotland is literally dying. End quote. That is the story of our national church. And so it is time for Bible churches to get stirred up to positive action. 
Last week we, we began looking at the book of Haggai and uh, the time period is 520 BC, the, the place is Jerusalem. These were refugees returning to their lands, having uh, been deported and exiled from their territory over 60 years before. And uh, their land was absolutely destroyed by the Babylonian Empire. And after 60 plus years of living in Babylon as immigrants, a group of about 50,000 people returned to a devastated country, to a, a ruined capital, to a pitiful economy in order to rebuild their lives and to rebuild their nation. And central to their way of life was the worship of God, uh, centered on the temple, a place that gave expression to their relationship with God that symbolized um, God's presence amongst his people. But that had also been totally destroyed, and it lay in ruins. And so a key objective was to rebuild the temple, known as God's house. And these were very impressive people. They, they'd, made, they'd uprooted their lives, they'd come across the desert, they'd come back to this devastated country to rebuild, and they wanted to make a difference with their lives. They'd been stirred up enough to, to try and make a difference. They'd given much money and resources to make this project happen. Turn with me to the book of Ezra to begin with, and you'll find that on page 475 in the church Bibles. Let's look at Ezra chapter 2 that records the history of this, page 400. And 75 in the church Bibles. If you look at verse 68 of chapter 2. When they arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the heads of the families gave freewill offerings towards the rebuilding of the house of God in its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for this work 61,000 drachmas of gold, 5,000 miners of silver, and 100 priestly garments. I know you're thinking, how much is a, a drachma? Well, that's equivalent to about 500 kilograms of gold. It's quite a bit of gold, isn't it? About 17 million quid on today's gold markets, I believe. Three tons of silver, that is another handy million, I think. And with that, they were able to hire masons and carpenters. If you look over at chapter 3 and verse 10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord... The priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love to Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation stone of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundations of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. What a day. What a noisy day. Shouts of joy. Great weeping and wailing at all had been lost. Shouts of joy at what had been restarted. We'll read on in the book of Ezra and you're going to see how opposition grew, setbacks increased and the whole thing grinds to a stop. And nothing happened for about 12 years. 12 years they just got on with their lives. Building their businesses back up, rebuilding their lives and their homes. And that's when God stirred them up. 
Let's turn to the book of Haggai. He stirred them up through Haggai, the prophet. Look at page 948 in the church Bibles, page 948. And last week we saw that through Haggai, uh, the prophet, God challenged their excuses for their inactivity. And they were urged to consider the focus of their lives. And they were called back to make God their number one priority. So look at uh, chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. And so on the 21st of September, 520 BC, the leaders and the people were stirred up by God and they restarted the work. 21st of September. Now, three and a half weeks later, on October the 17th, God spoke again to the leaders and the people. Let's read that in chapter 2 and the first nine verses. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Rezu- I always trouble with this name. Speak to Zerubbabel, that's right, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when they came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine. And the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. This is God's word. Well, keep that open. Three things I want us to notice this morning. Firstly, people get discouraged. In God's work. People get discouraged in God's work. Three and a half weeks after they got started, it appears as if they were flagging. It's understandable, isn't it? It's a massive job that they were undertaking. It was bruising, back-breaking, hard labor to go up to the mountains, to chop down these big trees that were needed, to bring them down, to, to move these big lumps of stone and put them into place. What a massive job it was. 
And when you've got a massive job to do, you know, you can spend a few weeks on it and you look at what you've achieved and it appears like you've done nothing. And there's still so much more to do and you've only really got started. And what is more, as you, sort of, as you go home each night with bleeding, calloused hands and your back is sore and you think, actually, this isn't even going to look very good when we're finished. Going to put in all this hard work, all this effort. And do you know what? It's not, it's not going to look that good. Very dispiriting. And then on top of that, to hear reports of the older men who are, you know, too old to do the heavy lifting, but uh, have time to get together and have cups of tea, and uh, they start mourning. They're going, oh, remember the glory of the old days? Do you remember the glory of the old temple? Oh, look at this. This is pitiful. There's nothing here compared to the good old days. Can you imagine how discouraging that is? That's the sort of thing that really puts you over the top, I reckon. It's not hard to imagine three and a half weeks in how tough it was. And in lots of areas of our life, we can, we can get discouraged and we can think about giving up, can't we? As parents... We get discouraged. Looking at these parents there, look with a beautiful, smiley kids, all fresh and clean. And what it were? I mean, it's never always like that, is it? We don't see them with the puke on them and all the, and then the relentless crying, and then the, and then see them having a, a fit in the shop because you won't buy them chocolate and and all of that chaos. And then and then you know. Somebody, maybe someone in the family, points out another family who are just doing a great job. And uh, look how well-behaved their children are. Look how accomplished they are. They're already grade eight and they're only three years old. (laughs) Discouraging. We can get discouraged at school, can't we? We're doing our homework, we're working hard, we're going to the lessons, but we just don't seem to get the grades that we're hoping for, the grades that we so desperately need if we're going to go and do that thing that we want to do. We can get discouraged in our workplaces. And when we go in there, we're trying our best, but our boss, he just keeps criticizing us. He just keeps giving me a hard time. My colleagues are just a nightmare. I feel miserable at work. I just feel like I'm going to give up. We get, we get discouraged like that. It happens to us, doesn't it? It happens in church life. You know, we can be working hard as ministry leaders, as Sunday school teachers, as a deacon, as an elder. And, and while you're seeing some fruit, it's, it's not what you hope for. And when you look at the need, the opportunity, the, 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 the hundreds of thousands, you think, well, what is this achieving? And some well-meaning soul comes along and tells you about this brilliant church somewhere else where they're doing a really great job. I mean, and they, they've got thousands coming to everything and they're seeing hundreds getting saved. Oh, that's good to know. And then some other older saint comes and tells you about the good old days when the place was full morning and evening. People queued up outside. It was overflowing. Oh, that sounds great. Um, or worst of all, someone thinks it would be a real blessing to you to to pass on criticisms from grumbling anonymous people who've never talked to you directly. 
people do get discouraged in God's work, don't they? And if you're here today feeling any of that, I've got some great news to you because the Lord wants to encourage you today. The Lord wants to encourage us today. Notice the realism of God who who brings out their fears into the open. Verse 2, speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? He sort of brings out what people have been thinking out into the open. This is the realism of God. Of course, given the vast wealth of the nation under King Solomon, the temple that he built was a very impressive building. It was filled with silver and gold. It was filled with fine masonry and the best of woods. And given their limited resources, it was also true that what they were building actually wasn't as impressive as the old building. That was actually true. But look at these words of encouragement from God, not to give up, but to keep going. Verse 4, but now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, who is the high priest, son of Jehozadak. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Be strong and work. On a regular basis, right through the Bible, God speaks similar words of encouragement to his people. Moses, on the edge of the land, uh, the promised land, he says this to them, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. It's God's word to Joshua, his successor. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It's what the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, says to young Timothy. um, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And it's what Paul says to the Christians in, in, in Ephesus. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong. Why do you think we get so much repetition of this be strong stuff? Because we're so given to fear. We need it. We need often to be reminded of it. And when things get discouraging, leaders need to be told... Be strong. Elders, deacons, be strong. Sunday school teachers, be strong. Members of Charlotte Chapel, be strong and work. It's not the time to collapse in a heap when we see the difficulties, the decline. It's not a time to give up. It's a time to be strong and continue in the work of the Lord. Effort is required. Work, he says. See, when things are looking bleak for the cause of Christ, now is the time to even more engage in gospel work. Now is the time to be inviting people to uh, 
to look at Christ, to share the good news of Jesus, to work together, to connect people to Jesus and to his church, to help people grow in their faith, to help people get equipped to engage in the work, to help people love, grow, serve, and go. Now is the time to engage in that. Now, how did Haggai put courage back into people who were flagging in his day? Is this sort of the captain's speech when you're running behind at half-time in the game? Gather in, team, gather in. We're better than this. Let's show them. We're faster, stronger, harder. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. When the going gets rough, the rough get tough. Come on. You can do it. You've got it in you. Is it one of those sort of speeches? Do you know what? It's not. Did you notice that? He's not asking them to find motivation within themselves. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. The truth is, we might well be puny, but look who's with us. The Lord Almighty. Do you know what that name means? In in Hebrew, in a sense, that means... That, that name is the name of, uh, of the Lord who, who has the whole angelic army host of angels with him. He's the Lord of hosts. He has the armies of heaven. You only have to read scripture to see what one angel can do. And he's got countless numbers of the angelic hosts with him. He is the Lord Almighty. Sometimes we belittle people uh, with sort of a smile and we say, yeah, Oh yeah, you and whose army? Don't we? Yeah, that's it. So you and whose army? Which is to say, you're just too puny. You can't do what you said you're going to do. You haven't got the authority to do what you're going to do. There's that scene in Lord of the Rings where a fleet of pirate ships are coming. And they're on the shore. There are three people. There's a man, there's a dwarf and an elf. This only works for you if you like Lord of the Rings, I know. But I can see people smiling at me. And, uh, and the, the pirate ships are commanded, turn around and go back. And they pay no attention. And the p- three from the shore say, prepare to be boarded. And the pirate captain says, boarded? You and whose army? At which point this spiritual army that was previously unseen rushes from behind them and swarms all over them and they are totally defeated. How can we be strong? And work when we're so limited and puny? Well, because the Lord Almighty is with us. That's the point. What an encouragement to us as a church. Uh, The Apostle Paul said to the church in Philippi, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. The Lord is with us. See, one of our problems is that we, we, we look around and we see a work or a situation and it just looks unimpressive to our eyes. It, and it makes, makes us do the wrong judgment. We think, well, God's not with us. Look how pitiful this is. It doesn't look impressive. But that's exactly what they were facing. It didn't look much after three and a half weeks of work. But God encourages them. He says, don't, don't, don't see just merely what's in front of you. I am with you. In fact, I've promised to be with you all along. He covenanted it. Verse 5. 
This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Now, my New Testament covenant Christian friends, can we ever doubt the commitment of God to us who sent his one and only son to die in our place? The Lord Jesus sought to cement this in his disciples' hearts and minds in their final meal together on that Passover night, breaking bread. He gave it to them saying, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. And then they hand around that cup of wine. This is my blood of the new covenant. Drink it in remembrance of me. He has covenanted to be with us. His blood bought people. We should be in no doubt that the Lord Almighty is with us. He's poured out his Holy Spirit on the church at Pentecost. His Spirit is with us and remains with us. And so we should not give way to fear. We have every reason to be strong and what? Just checking you with me. Be strong and? Be strong and? Work. Work. I did, was that work? Did you say work? Be strong and? Or courageous. That's true. Be strong and courageous and? Work. There we are. We got it in. That's good. Be strong and courageous. That's true. Courageous was also in there too. Well done. I'm, it's, good, it's good that you're smarter than me. Last month, uh, we were at the funeral of Shiona's gran, uh, Eunice MacDonald, and we heard stories about a life that we'd not heard before. She married a much older man. He was a veteran of the First World War. He was uh, injured in the Battle of Somme. And so consequently, she was a, a widow for as many years as she was married to him. And during those latter years, she was involved with the Prison Christian Fellowship, regularly visiting Perth Prison uh, to spend time with the prisoners and to share some of the hope and encouragement that we can have from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Colin Cuthbert spoke at the funeral, and he told the story of the day that he was on the visiting team with old Eunice, as everybody knew her, uh, as she was uh, known in the prison. Um, and he remembers the day that old Eunice, uh, who as an older woman had a stooped back and, and clinging to old Eunice's arm was blind May, who played the keyboard. And so Colin had the keyboard under one arm and he's holding a bag of, you know, some drinks and goodies, some buns in the other for the guys who come to the Prison Christian Fellowship. And they're sort of staggering from the outer gate across the sterile area towards the inner gate with, with old Eunice and blind May. And he saw a police wagon come in and the policeman just look at them with complete disbelief at what on earth these old shuffling people were doing. And as he went past, Colin Cuthbert called out to him, Don't you worry, my man. This is God's victorious army. It is funny, but you know what? It's true. It was true. The next person who spoke at the funeral was um, a, a former prisoner who's now a church pastor who spoke of how the most respected person in Perth prison, the whole of Perth prison, was old Eunice. A Glasgow gang leader effectively was the boss amongst the prisoners 
And if anyone tried to go along to the prison fellowship and tried to interrupt old Eunice, they never did it again. And Gary spoke of how his lifeline while at prison was old Eunice, who visited him every single week, gave him a tonics tea cake, a cup of tea, a listening ear, and then prayed with him. What can a little old lady do in a prison with hardened criminals? Well, if she goes in as a Christian with the Lord Almighty, quite a lot. She's part of Christ's victorious army. But there's a second encouragement here to be strong and work, and it's in verses 6 to 9. Yes, you know, if they look back to Solomon's temple, they, they, their own building didn't look very impressive, but God not only reminds them of his presence in the present, but of a glorious future that is ahead of them if they continue to press on with their work. Look at verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. They may not have enough resources to, to build a fancy temple, but the Lord assures them that he's going to so shake things up that people from all the nations will come and bring their wealth and resources to fill this temple so it will be even more glorious than Solomon's temple. Be strong and work, because it would not take long for them to see the Lord Almighty shaking the heavens and the earth, shaking the nations, and making this very thing happen. Now, how did it happen? Well, you could think about it at a political level. You could look at the events that would take place 20 years on from these events. Greece rebelled against Persia, which started a series of battles at Marathon and other places, and eventually led to the Persian Empire being toppled and the rise of Alexander the Great. And then after that, the Greek Empire broke up into pieces, and then the Roman Empire rose up. And during that time, Herod the Great came into power in this part of the land. And the temple that Zerubbabel built was gradually replaced by more elegant buildings. And by the time it was completed, it was one of the glories of the East with gold on the pinnacle that shot over the whole city of Jerusalem. It would have been like that at the time of Jesus. And so that would fit with verse 8, wouldn't it? The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. A good little reminder that all the stuff we have is not really ours, it's his. And uh, we only get to be stewards of it for a little while. We always leave it behind. It belongs to him. Silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. But I think these verses speak of something far greater than a richly decorated temple building. Verse 9, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. The, the, the moment, of course, when the Lord God filled the temple with glory was when God himself came, wrapped in human flesh, as Mary and Joseph brought their baby into the temple courts. I love that moment where old man, this is a sermon about old people, isn't it? Where old man Simeon took Jesus in his arms and he praised God, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant 
in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Jesus carried in as a little baby. God's glory coming to fill his temple. Jesus, the God-man, who reveals the glory of God, not just for his people, but for all the nations. And this good news of, of Jesus, the Savior, who died in the place of sinners, and who rose, when that is proclaimed, and when people put their trust in him, they receive pardon and peace. And they become part of an ever-growing, glorious, spiritual temple of worshippers. You know, as people have engaged in the work of the Lord to spread his gospel throughout the world, people from Africa and Asia and America and Polynesia and Australia and Europe, they submit their lives and their gifts and their money and their resources at the feet of King Jesus. Are you part of his kingdom. Have you submitted your life to King Jesus? Have you received pardon for your sins? If, if, if it's not true of you today, why not do it today? Put your trust in him today. Come and speak to me at the end. Speak to someone you know is a Christian to help you to do that. It is the most glorious thing. Have you become a worshipper of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? It struck me as I studied this passage this week that, you know, we, we think about political parties and who's going to be prime minister. But you know what? Nations and empires are just the mere scaffolding that will one day fall away just to leave behind this thing, the spiritual temple of the people of God who've built their lives on the foundation stone that is Jesus Christ. And as we read earlier today from the book of Hebrews, which quotes this very section from Haggai, there is still a day of shaking in history that is to come. And on that day of shaking, there will be nothing else left standing but the church of Christ. Hebrews 12 said this, At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens, the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So my Christian friends, let's worship this God, be strong, and work for Christ's kingdom. All the other stuff that we chase for in life will actually just be shaken and gone one day. And the only thing that will remain will be Christ's kingdom that cannot be shaken. Can there be any better investment of our lives, of our gifts, of our talents, of our resources than into Christ's kingdom? And as we engage in this, don't forget this. The Lord Almighty is with us. Let's pray.